Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Remember to go on to SobertownPodcast.com. Check out all the resources we have there to help you get sober. I want to mention the IAS Sober Community. That's where me and my next guest met one another. And then I want to mention Boom, Rethink the Drink. That's another amazing sober community. And then there's this Naked Mind community. So there's a lot of communities out there and a lot of places to get sober. If you want to get sober, dive into your sobriety. So my next guest, I was just looking back a minute ago, and she's episode 28, and now we're at 282. It's Molly, a.k.a. 10 Seconds at a Time from IAS. You're you're OG to Sobertown. <laughs> I snuck in just at the right time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you snuck in and you were really vulnerable. We didn't even know how to show our faces back then. Yeah, I, I did mine right around my six-month sober anniversary. And I'm like, just, I'm like two years, three months now. Congratulations. So it's been, it's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, not, not in a long time, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but a long time for sobriety. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, and then we got to meet in person in the Moab. So. Yeah, that was a moment. I mean, that whole trip was a moment. I mean, I'm so incredibly glad I went. It was great. It was. It was amazing. Amazing time meeting all you guys, all you sober warriors. And then you made us all these really cool little rocks. Yeah, they're just, I've I've like learned little things about each of you along the way. And you know, I wanted just everyone to have a little memento of the trip. So I'm like, I just want a little personalized gift for all y'all. So it was I've, fun. Yeah. I've got mine out on the mantle on the fireplace. So, oh, awesome. Perfect. Yeah. You made a post in our Silvertown Facebook group recently talking about what you're going through with your sobriety. And I'll let you explain it. It has to do with relationships, our partners and stuff, why we're getting sober. I invited you to come on here and talk about this on Sobertown because I think it's something that we need to talk about. How do we deal with our partners when we're getting sober and what happens if they relapse? So you want to go from there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole reason I made that post was because I I felt kind of desperate, like I needed to talk about what was happening because, you know, my circumstance is a little... I mean, it might be a little different from other people's in that, like, my addiction was alcohol. But my husband, he's never had a problem with that. It's just he, over the course of us living together, we we moved in in April of this year, 2023, and then got married in June. And uh, it just became very apparent over, you know, the first six months of us living together that what I and he had both thought was a normal usage of weeds, like marijuana, just smoking, was actually something very debilitating and holding him back in a lot of ways. And throughout the course of our relationship, I was kind of at a disadvantage to understand this because we met pre-COVID. He's from Australia. And we we met in person and, you know, vibed and everything. And then COVID hit and we were forced to stay separate for almost over two years actually just over two years and so that's that's a long two years to be separate from someone you consider your partner you know and i remember the whole time when we first met you're getting sober he's in australia 
you're uh, over here in the States and you guys were communicating back and forth that whole time. Yeah, I mean, he was an amazing support to me. And more importantly, he was kind of my my mirror. He calls me that for himself now. But I realized very early on in our relationship that I was screwing it up with my drinking. Like he it was the first time I'd been in a healthy enough relationship to understand that my actions were the unhealthy ones. Like it wasn't someone else. I was the one doing it. And it was because I was starting fights so drunk. I would get blacked out and not remember conversations. Like my tolerance towards the end was so high that I would I would drive drunk. I would have entire conversations like and not remember a single part of it. Then I'd wake up in the morning to a bunch of messages like, you know, like how how could you say that? Like it, it just just appalled at, at how I was treating this guy, and it was all just because I was wasted, you know. So I realized very quickly, like I am going to screw this up if I keep drinking. Like this is a genuinely good man I found, and I'm going to mess it up. So that was kind of my final straw. I'd had a lot of other, you know, lead ups as we all do. We don't just have like one thing that magically turns us sober. It's like a lot of <laughs> a lot of big and or small things in succession that that bring us to that point. And people could go in and listen to your story, episode 28 on SoberTownPodcast.com to hear all of what you went through, a lot of that that led up to this point. Yeah, it was a lot of running from trauma, a lot of not knowing why I felt the way I did. A lot of shame, a lot of shame that came from, you know, drinking things that I've done, a lot of shame from not understanding like past sexual assault like feeling guilty that something had happened to me, that I had brought it on myself. And it took a lot. It took sobriety, really, for me to to dismantle all of that rather than just running away from it. But I mean, it was real heavy. Like I ran away from it for the better part of five years and like I was going to put myself in an early grave if I kept drinking the way I was, but one thing yeah. I like about you getting sober and uh -huh. and finding all this out is because you've become a huge woman's advocate with, with this abuse. And like, I used to picture you with a bull, like a bulldog, man, don't mess with one of Molly's friends. Cause she will come after you. <laughs> True, because it's, it's staggering to me. Like the longer I've spent in sober communities the more I see women who went through exactly what I did and they use drinking to run away from the pain and to, to numb and not, not feel, you know, if they have an abusive partner, they use drinking to say, you know, quell the voice that they're not adequate they, it makes them more fun it makes them more happy it makes them this it makes them a better mom a better wife you know and so like yeah i just started to like talk about it and the more i talked about it the more people were like hey that's me too and before i knew it like i would i was getting messages from dozens of women across the last two years and it's been an honor to like be an advocate and kind of say like hey it's not you like you're in this abusive thing. Yes, the drinking plays a part, but like so does the fact that this person is dragging you into like a pit of hell, essentially. So yeah, which which actually makes me, like I said before, like I'd done all of this self-work to understand what an unhealthy relationship was. And then when I found this 
this one I have now, my marriage now, I, I was like meticulous in sorting this guy out. Like I asked a bunch of questions and, you know, I thought I vetted everything. I thought I like, you know, in getting to know a person, there's only so many ways you can get to know them before you, you know, you tie the knot and you get married and then it continues on and you continue getting to know them. And big surprise was, like I said, was this 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 issue with his his weed usage and i've never smoked weed like i i tried it a few times in college and it just didn't appeal to me like the the physical feeling of it was not something i was like i like this like alcohol was always way more appealing to me so i just i've never really understood you know why people use it what it does for them it it's just wasn't my thing so when i heard that he you know he used it I was like, okay, cool. Like, I know plenty of people who just use it recreationally to sleep, to unwind in the evenings. I know it's not addictive, per se, like alcohol. There's no, like, physical addiction that you don't have withdrawals. Like, you can die from alcohol withdrawals. So it, it didn't raise any red flags. Let's just put it that way. And Well, I've, I've just recently looked up some stats on, on mm -hmm. weed. And because everybody plays it like, oh, it's just yeah. weed, right? It's not a big deal. Right. It's just weed. But when I got into the neuroscience of weed, it's a lot like alcohol. And it's really with all addiction and that substance and behavioral too. You lose connections in your prefrontal cortex, right? So your brain is literally shrinking. And this is with weed just as much as alcohol. And your prefrontal cortex is where you get all your critical thinking, your judgment, your reasoning, you know, all of that. So it is dangerous. It, and there's even a lot more that goes on with this, but weed yeah. isn't innocent like everybody plays it up to be. And not only that, Molly, the weed today, it's grown to get you addicted. This isn't the old farmer's weed that you dirt weed from back in my days. The concentrations are like really high because yes. it's measured in milligrams and the one time that i did you know try it recreationally like i would do between between three and five milligrams and i would feel pretty high and what my husband would be smoking would be close to a hundred in in wow. one hit and i mean i i just i can't even imagine like what that would feel like. like I would probably just be in in a coma personally. <laughs> yeah. So basically, when I realized what kind of effect that amount was having, and I would see it change his personality too. Like it would, it would turn him just. Kind, he would be very like in his own head, kind of like just very random thoughts coming. You know, like. You couldn't really have a conversation with someone who's high like that. You can. It's just it can't be about anything of substance, really, because at least at least for him, it, would, it the, the topics would change very rapidly or they would like quickly spiral into like, you know, like a new age, like higher essence nonsense about like the meaning of life. And, and I just I couldn't ever follow his thoughts. And so gradually as it was entertaining at first i will admit that like i actually kind of enjoyed being around him because it, it wasn't causing any harm at first and i was like this is kind of fun like everything's funny you know and may maybe this is okay like that's kind of how i thought about it at first but i realized how much time it was taking away 
from us like genuinely growing together because it wasn't just like a one or two night a week thing it was like at least four or five like it was more often than not that our spare time consisted of me being sober and him being high and I it just it became less fun and more of like again like really like I can't now now our whole night is shot like we can't really do anything because you don't want to go anywhere because you're hot you know and so it wasn't even just the fact that he was doing that it was it was like the the kind of restrictions on what we could do as a couple like because I we were up in Maine right because I travel for work and we're in this like gorgeous area in this middle of summer and I wanted to go out and you know see all these these scenery and go hiking and and just like experience the local area and it just none of that seemed to be something that was on the table and we had just gotten married right so we're still feeling each other out we just moved in together and I I feel like most of my time is spent with a person who's not really himself because he's putting a mask on and I don't really know what to do with that at the time, you know? So I, I just kind of tried for a very long time to make it okay in my head because I'm like, it's just weed, Molly. It's just weed, you know? But, but it just, it became it became this thing in my head where, you know, it's it's clearly an escape for him because unfortunately, within the first four months of our marriage, he he lost a few family members back at home in Australia and also a friend. And it was all within a month. And it was a lot of grief that he had to handle very far away from home. And I mean, I was right there to see how it affected him. And the way that he dealt with it was to get like blitzed like he he just didn't want to feel and that was my first clue I'm like oh you're using this to escape bad feelings that's what you're doing and then it started to like flare these warning lights in my head like that's addictive behavior that's not that's not someone who just enjoys weed every now and then like you're running away from things actively with the substance you know and I knew all about that so (laughs) So we we made kind of a tentative plan to because uh, we were in Maine where everything was legal, right? Like in the U.S., depending on where what state you're in, you have access, you know, and other states it's still illegal or it's restricted access, whatever. And I, we were only temporarily up in Maine. So we had a lot of really hard talks about like what I thought this was doing to our marriage, how I thought it was kind of stifling it. I, you know, I didn't tell him to quit I wasn't like you need to stop this but I was honest about how I felt that's all you can do really is is like with someone who's like using something is just just say like how it's affecting you because that's what he did for me in the beginning with alcohol because he was very honest about like he's like Molly I'm scared to talk to you because I don't know what you're gonna say next if you're gonna be drunk or not and like that's really hard to hear from your partner you know So I just remember how that honesty was a slap in the face for me and and a a realization that I needed to reevaluate myself. And that's when you got sober way back when. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Right before episode 28, like you said. Yeah. Um, 
so I've just learned in my own journey that, you know, even if it's a, another person who has an issue with the substance and it's affecting you, one of the most powerful things you can do for that person is just say like, hey, I feel like this is, you know, taking time away from us. Like, just be honest with your feelings, especially if it's your husband, your life partner, the person who's supposed to be supporting you and listening to you and understanding you, you know, Um so, yeah, he, he seemed to understand. Like, he's like, I, I kind of agree with you. You know, I, I've known that it's gone from fun to excessive in the last year or so. I just didn't really realize how bad it was, you know, because he tried to quit in stages, as everyone does. Like, I feel like even I, you know, when I first quit drinking, no one just does it like cold turkey hardly ever. There's like a, a phase you go through where you kind of test yourself like can I handle this can I handle that and he gave himself like you know a set amount that he was only going to use for a week and he went through it in a day he was moderating it was moderating exactly yeah and the moderation failed repeatedly and so I it like the, the clearest thing to me was like we we just have to eliminate this because, like, if you stay high 24-7 and we want to have kids, that was my thing. Is like, I can't be around a person who I don't trust with my own children. Like, and he swore up and down. He's like, everything's going to change when we have kids, Molly. Like, I'm not going to touch weed again whatsoever. I'm like, well, that's nice to say that. But if you're this dependent on it and then you think you're magically just going to not smoke when we have children everything's going to be fine like no your life's going to be harder than ever with kids you know like it's you're going to want to smoke more it's not how things work and you know? he didn't realize that he married an addiction specialist <laughs> all right no no not really because and after everything you've been through you understand addiction right and i i know that it's it's nice to to have those thoughts like yes when when this big thing happens i'll quit I, everyone everyone tells themselves that like when i'm ready when this happens when that but you can't especially in our circumstance like i don't want any kids anywhere near addiction because like we all know what that does to us and we've all experienced that in some way ourselves and I just, I couldn't see that actually happening. So I kind of called him out on it. I'm like, your behavior now dictates your future behavior. Like, I only believe what I see in front of me. I don't believe future you exists yet. You have to create future you. Future you is not here yet. Like, and you're not working on future you. So he didn't like that very much. It was, we went through a phase where he was like, you don't believe in me. You know, all of this stuff. I'm like, I keep, I'm a person that like your current behavior dictates your future behavior. And that's, that's all I know. I'm not going to pretend and look at you with rose colored glasses. I, I've learned that lesson too many times in my life. So, um, yeah, he, he agreed that he was going to stop and I, I believed him. I really did. It was he, he took a lot of initiative. He even started using IAS for the day counter and he would like send me screenshots and, you know, like, hey, it's been a week. It's been eight days, you know, whatever. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, you're doing really good. Yeah, that had to have been really exciting to see that he was counting his days and and paying attention cognitive, you know, consciously knowing he was getting sober. Yeah. 
Yeah. And he he kept saying, like, I've done this before. It's going to be easy. Like, I'm not going to have any problems at all, you know. And I remember we took a trip to Boston. It was for... No, that was... We went there twice. Anyway, we took a trip to Boston. And the long short of it is that the entire trip, he was a cranky jerk because he couldn't smoke. And it was his first time outside of you know, being outside of our like normal living circumstances and not having a substance to kind of calm him down in a new environment, you know? Right. Because that was his normal to go somewhere and to use, right? Correct. Correct. And, and so like, here I am, like, I'm trying to enjoy this, this travel life I have. I'm trying to have, you know, see sites and do all of this. And, and like I had to stay up with him because he was going through a lot in his head. We were in a hotel one night and he was like, like so antsy. He was pacing around the room. He's like, I just really want to go buy some. Like he, he had like the shakes almost, you know what I mean? Like that feeling you get when you crave so bad that you can't, you can't like get it out of your head. It's all consuming. And that was when I realized this is an addiction. Because like you, uh, that, you know, the, the using for grief was one thing. And then when, when I saw him pacing our hotel room, like muttering to himself about how he could go get some and how he wanted it, I'm like, that's addict behavior, you know? And it just kind of hit me. Like, I'm like, I, I am marrying, I married an addict and I didn't even know it, you know? And so I had a whole world shift because this was not something like he helped me with my addiction like i he was the farthest thing from an addict in my head when i married him he was the healthiest person for me ever um i mean that's the whole reason that we fell in love and wanted to get married is that everything was he was so supportive and he was everything i needed at the time and it's like my world flipped. And and thank God I, I was strong enough and like self-aware enough in my sobriety at this point to understand what was happening. Because, you know, a less kind of self-aware like version of myself would have just been like, he'll get over it. It'll be fine. You know, maybe he can go back to smoking and everything will be okay and blah, 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 blah. But like when you get to the point where you're pacing a hotel room and you want to smoke so bad that like you're going to leave at 12 30 in the morning to go find a shop like that that's like yeah because i've done that and i was an addict and i know i was so if you're doing that you're an addict you know so right you are yeah there are certain things that normal people just don't do and that you know that kind of stuff is one of them and uh so that took a lot of effort that night to work with him through this, didn't it? It did. And I I straight up asked him, I was like, what's the only reason you're not going to get weed right now? Because I wanted to know what was going on in his head. Like, what what was the reasons? And, like, he kind of was honest. He's like, because you wouldn't want me to. And I was like, I, my immediate reaction was like, do not put that on me. Like, do not, I am not controlling you. You are free to go get your weed if you want. I'm not saying you can or cannot do a single thing, but you don't want to disappoint yourself and me, which is why you're not going to do it. 
It's not that I'm forbidding you. It's that your actions have consequences and you know the consequences and you know that they're bad. So it's like, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. <laughs> like, this is how I feel. I'm not going to change that. And so then I have this whole like, am I being too harsh? Am I, am I not being supportive here? Like what am, you know, but then I'm like, what would I have needed from someone in my life if this were me? You know, like I would have needed exactly that. I would have needed someone to like have that hard line with me. Maybe that I wouldn't have gotten so far down the drinking rabbit hole as I did if someone had just kindly told me, like I told him, like, you know, you can, but I just, I don't think it's what's good for you. You know, no one ever did that for me. And, you know, maybe things would have been different, but um, yeah. So anyway, after after Boston, that was Boston, like I said, then we really agreed no more once we left Maine, right? After that night, did he really see, once he got to the cravings and he unwound, did he really see that this had really become an issue? I think, I don't think it was like a huge light bulb moment like it was for me, but I think it was the beginning of him taking it seriously. Yeah, because he was understanding how much of his, just his thoughts were based around it, you know? Because everyone says like, you know, on IAS, the counter has time saved. There's like money saved in your sobriety. Now there's calories too, which I think is interesting. <laughs> but there's also time saved because you estimate how many hours a day you spent either actively in your addiction or thinking about it slash planning for it. And I think that moment kind of was like a light bulb like this is a lot of mental energy that i'm i'm spending on this you know more than a, a normal person would anyway so so yeah it, it we just continued along the path of like this is not going to be a thing anymore we we only had a few months more left in maine and then we moved to connecticut for my next job and in at the time actually ironically enough like two weeks ago Connecticut legalized weed <laughs> but when we moved here <laughs> when we moved here it, it wasn't so we we had had a hard agreement that he wouldn't take any but it, it's also like illegal to like take weed from one state into another state like the regulations forbid that you know not that anyone has to listen to those like weed is I don't know, like people bend the rules all the time. I ended up completely by accident because we had just moved and like there was something I couldn't find in all of our stuff as we were unpacking. And I was going through a closet, like trying to find this thing in our new apartment. And I found this little round tube, this plastic tube. And I was like, what's this? And I opened it and it's joint. And I'm like, okay, didn't we just have this whole conversation about how you weren't going to do this, you know? And there, there were a lot of emotions at first. First of all, it was like, why did you invade my, my back? And I, and I didn't know that like it was a no-go space. Like we were looking for stuff. We just moved. Our stuff was everywhere. And I'm like, I didn't invade your bag. I was looking for something, you know? It was not like I was like, hmm, let's see what's in your stuff, you know? But he then then it was I was gonna throw it out anyway. I heard you know it's 
it wasn't even it wasn't even something I was thinking about using. It was just left over. I just had forgotten to get rid of it. All of these excuses that I have used before, and like he he was lying to my face, to my face, Drifter, you know. And I'm like, you can't fool me. You can't. I've 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 already done this, you know. So and um, you have clarity of mind in your sobriety, no. right? You right. can't fool an addict. No, especially a sober addict. Yeah, we're like we're like human lie detectors. I swear, it's it's yeah. <laughs> but and bullshit detectors too. Like, can we curse on this? I hope so. Uh, absolutely. Okay, but yeah. So that that was that was hard because I I felt you know kind of deceived. And what was even worse at the time, my dog had just died like right around this time and I I was very public on on I am sober and stuff about how huge of a trigger for relapse I was afraid that was because like my dog was like my child and it was really like sudden and traumatic like how everything happened and you know I I initially was like are you sneaking off and getting high while I'm dealing with this sober like is, is that what you're doing? And he assured me that that wasn't the case. But like the fact that I even worried about that, like that was a thought in my head was like, I should never think that about a partner, you know, like it, so was it kind of felt like a betrayal. It, yeah, it did. Because like we, you know, when you agree on something and you, you, you both say like, this is a thing that's not going to happen. And then one person goes and does the thing anyway. It's like that's disrespect. It's like blatant ignoring of one, like the other person's wishes, you know? That and, is addiction. It is honest, right? I know. And this is where I'm getting, I'm getting to this because all, all of this is leading me to finally understand that I need to start treating him like someone in our community. Like, like someone because first like i said for the longest time like he he and like the world of addiction were separate for me like they were not touching and i loved that because i'm like good a healthy person who doesn't have my same issues you know and then the universe did not see fit to keep that truth it, it kind of threw me a curveball there but but then it, it actually like it actually helped because I realized like, okay, like being mad is not going to help anything. There's, there's a process happening here and the process needs to happen in whatever way it needs to happen for him. Oh, I can only control my own actions and my own reactions to this. So I tried to kind of adapt more of a stance of compassion from that point on. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I was real pissed for like three or four days like it it came down to I almost almost was like I need you to go stay somewhere else like it it was like that big of a deal for me but that didn't happen we managed to talk through it and he also has started going to therapy which is good um so you were able to show him some grace correct like we would somebody that's trying to fight out of the trenches. Yeah, because I, I have these two sides of myself, and this is specifically in relationships, because I've been so stepped on and taken advantage of before 
that the minute I start forgiving someone for these like really big betrayals, I I ask myself, I'm like, am I just being stupid again? Am am I letting myself get taken advantage of by someone now? Because that's what that was my whole problem. Like the whole we, the whole reason women in general get into abusive relationships is they forgive things they shouldn't. It's like, oh, you got mad and you punched a wall. That's fine. Like, I understand that you're angry. You know, oh, you got mad and you shoved me. Oh, it's okay. You won't do it again. You know, I love you. It's like, oh, you hit, you know, and then it just gets worse and worse and you keep forgiving and forgiving. Like, I used to do that. And it took me a lot of therapy and a lot of growing to not forgive stuff anymore. But now, now I have this, like, huge wall that I need to kind of you know dismantle a little bit and and calm down a little bit because like this person is not out to hurt me this person is you know genuinely a good person and we're you know a healthy person for me and having these hard lines of like you can't do this while they're useful like you can't live your life only with hard lines you have to be soft a little like have your grace but you also have to find boundaries that doesn't destroy them at the same time and or you don't let yourself be destroyed so it's try to like find a balance with boundaries too right right exactly yeah i did a lot of talking to people in our community about this when it happened and then this this last time the the thing switched to whiskey because he's like I my that's what brought me to Sobertown was because he's he'd stayed sober from weed for the better part of two months and everything was going like to my eyes like pretty well. But then I'm still kind of unclear on what exactly was the like deciding factor. It was like stress at work or maybe because he he was grieving the loss of my dog too. You know, we both loved her, so there's a lot of emotions on his side and stuff. But, like, he snuck a, a bottle of whiskey upstairs. We live in a two, two-story two apartment. And throughout the night, just got blackout drunk without me knowing at all. Because I sleep downstairs because we work different hours. And that's never happened. Like, he's, he's, again, with, like, the sneaking like I didn't, I didn't know that anything was going on because I woke up to him throwing up, and I was like, I don't know, are you sick? Like, what's what's happening? And I eventually like had to like tell me what's going on, like tell him, and he's like, No, I'm just like I'm really drunk, and I'm like, What? Oh, like, wow. Where? Where? When? You know? Because it's alcohol is never his thing, but but when you remove the one thing, you know that you've relied on you try other things like i know a lot of people who quit alcohol try weed right or a lot of people who you know i mean there's there's any number of things like you quit heroin you you try cocaine or you know you you try and substitute or you quit alcohol and it becomes food right Sure. sure Yeah. Or like you can over exercise even you can you can obsess about your diet. You can obsess about like shopping or gambling or, you know, insert anything here. And so it just really surprised me because like alcohol had never appealed to him 
really. And I didn't know what to do with that at all. Like I'd already had this one betrayal like with the weed and then and then this like not necessarily that we didn't have a rule that he can't drink. Like I always was like, do whatever you want. Like I, I'm at the point in my sobriety that I do not care if people drink around me. And if I do care, then I will say something or I will like remove myself. Like it's no one else's responsibility except my own. Um, so like that's why it was so confusing because I'm like, you know, that I don't care. So like, why would you sneak it? You know, so yeah, I just it it was a lot of just really dark feelings. Like, am I being stupid here? Am I being taken advantage of? Is, it, is this going somewhere that I shouldn't let it go? Am I ignoring red flags? You know, blah blah blah. blah. Not only that, you had you started questioning your own sobriety in your post. You started struggling <laughs> yourself. Yeah, there's only so much you can be around someone. I think who even if their particular addiction isn't yours, they're doing it for the same reasons. It's like, have a hard day, smoke. Are you grieving? Smoke. Are you, you know, but, and you, you can only sit around and watch someone else escape for so long before you have, you start wanting to do it again yourself. Well, just, these thoughts exactly, creep in. They like do. it's little, little tiny, like drops day by day, just like little things. And it got to the point after this this last time with the whiskey that it was so strange like it felt like a, a like rocks in my stomach like it felt like there was just this heaviness i have not felt it like it since the beginning of my sobriety really and i realized that it was a craving it was like that's what i was feeling was like a genuine craving to go get wasted and this was my husband had to take a trip back to Florida for some immigration stuff. And I was at home alone <laughs> and I used to drink at home alone. That was like my prime time, you know, and I was just like staring at my purse and all of this, you know, was weighing on me. Like my job stress was, was weighing like and all of this stuff that had been going on with us. And it just was like, man, wine sounds good right now. You know, and I, I had not thought those words in like over two years. And that's when I was like, okay, okay, no, this is not good. <laughs> like there, if, if I'm actually considering like that wine sounds like a viable option in my life, there's something very wrong in my life right now. And I don't know what it is, but I need to figure it out because this is, this is how people relapse. And I, I know that it's not just like a all of a sudden thing like you, anyone you've talked to, like who's had a lot of sobriety and then they relapse. They're like, yeah, I could see it coming. You know, like they're like this thing happened, that happened. Um, I didn't handle this well. I didn't reach out when I should have. And my thing was resentment, too. I was like, well, if he gets to deal with his stress by getting wasted, you should, too. Like, that was a thought I had, you know? It's like you already witnessed for the better part of six months your husband handle stress by escaping and not dealing with it. And you were the one that, like, had to deal with his emotions because he wasn't dealing with them himself, you know? And I was just tired. I was tired at this point, too, like, of of being the present one, of being the logical one, of... You know, being the one who is trying to do the healthy stuff. And 
being that person when the other person doesn't want to do that is really hard. It's It takes a lot out of you. And that factored into it too, because I, you know, with the first thing you learn is halt, right? Hungry and re- I was tired. just thinking that. I was, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know what? I was, I was probably hungry. <laughs> you know, I was definitely angry. I was lonely because like I said, my, my husband had just gone back to Florida and I was tired. So it was like, I maybe could have fixed it by like eating a good meal. But like those other three, the ALT were like raging, you know? So yeah, I just, I thankfully just pulled my head out of my ass and just started talking to people. I just sent messages to the people I know best in the community. And I'm like, hey, I've been super depressed lately. Do you have time for a phone call this week? It was that simple. You know, like I said, that to like five people and like three of them instantly were like, of course, please, let's talk. You know, so like the, over the next few days, I just just talked to people and I started going back to therapy. I'd put that on hold to save some money. But I'm like, no, this has got to be a priority again, because if I'm considering drinking again, I need to start fixing myself some more. So that leads me up to where I'm at now. And that that whiskey incident was going on probably about a month ago, three, three weeks ago now. And as far as I know, there has been nothing else like that and no more weed either. So I'm hopeful. I am. Where are you at? right now as far as going back to therapy and connecting back with i would have to say your sober crew right yeah Uh, where are you are you cool now are you okay i'm a lot better i wrote on ias too that like i think of my sobriety as like layers of protection right so i realized that night when i wanted to drink that i was down to like layer two like i was on like thin ice you know, like it, it was very, very thin. I still had like a layer, but it was it was ready to crack, you know. So I feel like I'm on like layer 10, layer 12 now. Usually I'm like 20 <laughs> and I don't even think about it. So I'm I'm climbing back up. But I definitely am not in that place where I I feel like it's an option anymore. So so that's a good thing. And I I finally have some time off work. Like we're about to go on a small vacation. And um, my, you know, I, my therapist has had some great suggestions of of just connecting, you know, with my husband on on a different level and ways to communicate to kind of like foster connection between the two of us. And uh, yeah, it's just I, I needed to give myself some grace, give him some grace, and also just return to my roots of asking for help when I need it. And I think the hardest part, Molly, is getting sober or dealing with someone you love with IAS. Mm -hmm. You see somebody relapse or they're struggling. It's really easy to try to inspire them. But then when you have somebody that you love, that you're close to, family member, spouse, or whatever, a lot of times it becomes personal. All of a sudden it's personal and it can feel betrayal. And I think a lot of it's learning not to take it personal because it really isn't about you. It's the addiction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right. Definitely think there are, like, I always like to include these, these disclaimers whenever I say things, 
this because the world is full of advice for for women and even people in recovery who have like a spouse with like addictive tendencies to just like you know forgive 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 like grace 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 you know but like with a little asterisk saying like don't kill yourself over it either you know like if if you have to take time away from them like you mentioned like one of our our mutual friends Viv had to do do that with her relationship if you have to protect yourself by removing yourself from the situation then like that's okay like because my sobriety had to come before everything else and I absolutely would have done that and I still might like if it if it turns shitty in the future I'll just be like I'm gonna go traveling on my next job alone and you can go hang out in Florida and figure out what's happening because you know, and that's not giving up on someone. That's just protecting yourself. I well, I, I really think the grace and the boundaries, you have to figure out what works there. And that's difficult too. But like I've told Viv and Armin, you know, especially Viv, when she was going through what she was going through, because I really believe in marriage. I really believe when you're getting sober to exhaust every effort you can and just don't throw that away. It's so important. And like I was telling her, wait for the miracle, Viv. Just wait for the miracle because he was trying, you know, and with what you're telling me now that he is trying, you know, I would say the same to you too. wait for the miracle. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. that That's the one thing that matters most to me is just effort. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. You, uh, things can go bad and you could have bad days where, you know, you, you might try and compensate incorrectly with whatever substance. And, right. There is relapse in addiction. Yeah. It just, there, everybody yeah, relapses. It's Annie Grace calls those data points, you know, and it's. Right, right. You know, and I, I love that term because I always picture like putting dots on a chart, you know, like, well, this didn't work. So we're going to go this way now. And, every, you know, you have to get enough data so you understand yourself. That's essentially what sobriety is, is collecting data on yourself until you figure yourself out, <laughs> you know. Right. And a lot of those times are waking up in the morning with the, the guilt, shame and remorse saying, this is not who I want to be. Mm -hmm. and unfortunately for me, I learned by our knocks. Yeah, I think a lot of us did. Yeah. So this is what I would like to do, Molly, is, you know, we've, we've talked about this now. And maybe as this evolves, get together again and see where this is going. Just kind of, you know, if you want to share this with us as, as your journey goes on with this. That would be great. Yeah, I mean, this is helping me to like just kind of compartmentalize and understand how I feel about it. And just just to get it out there and talk about it is is a chance for me to grow myself as well, for sure. And there's so many people that are trying to get sober and their spouses or their partners or whoever, they're not even trying. Yeah. It And I credit those ones that we've, we've seen that have really, they just keep pushing through and they're still sober. Yeah. Everyone has that, you know, your individual set of priorities, like if if someone is really worth waiting years for, you know, for that miracle and 
you've invested a lot of time in them, then absolutely, you know, like only every relationship is different. You know, like what what works for me, like I'm kind of I'm kind of picky. Let's let's put it that way. I have I have very high standards, but that's only because I've I've come from having such low ones and I've 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 been privileged enough to be at a point in my life where I I I don't have to rely on anyone else except myself. So if you're coming into my house and my table, you're only bringing things to it. You're not taking them away. And that's just that's the life I've tried to create. And that's where I'm at. So that's why I'm able to kind of be as let's put it harsh, I guess, as as I am. Um I think you're showing a lot of grace too. And it's just difficult. It's just difficult, especially you guys just got married and you know, and all of a sudden you get to see a little bit more dirty laundry than you were expecting. Right. Yeah. I should have, I maybe should have expected that, but you know, it, it is what it is. I'm trying to just roll with it and, and let love lead. I, I think you're doing a great job. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That's nice to hear. Well, you are. And you know, the way you've gotten through it, when you saw these warning triggers for yourself, you did something about it. You know, you didn't just fall back and get further into despair. You've been reaching out mm -hmm. and and sorting through this. You guys have already fought through a couple of years with all the COVID and him being in Australia. Yeah. And you guys have already been through a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He actually just got his social security card and his employment authorization. So he's not a resident yet, but he can at least work for the U.S. now, which we've been waiting for for over a year. Boom. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's a huge progress step for sure. Right. So now he gets a job and you'll have to be drug tested. Boom. <laughs> there is that. I didn't even think of that, Drifter. But that's true. Yeah. That's even more incentive there. Yep. <laughs> Molly, yeah. thank you so much. And we'll get back together again and we'll see how you're doing a little bit later on. Okay. That sounds great. Thank you All so right. much. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Sobertown. And we will talk to you later.